Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's the episode we have all been waiting for. You listen to them break down Eric's WCW departure. Now hang out with us. This is After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hey there, 83 Weeks fans. You are tuned into the right place because this show is just for you. And we have all your thoughts rolling in our live chat. So make sure you chime in. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Christy Olson. And let me introduce you to my panel of experts this evening. He runs this YouTube channel and the channel for, like, all your favorite wrestlers. Hi, Steve Kaufman. Hello. Uh, some of you may have caught me on the wide shot doing a bit of a Teddy Long. Oh. Doing a little a little holla holla. And if you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, he looks good doing it. Just yes. take my word for it. Don't Google it. <laughs> so the pressure is on for this guy, professional wrestler, who we also call the Encyclopedia of Professional Wrestling. Hello, George Hermosa. I'm not going to do it. I did the dance move last week. Ah. I did the Yemma last week. So I, that's why he did it. The, okay. The, the letting letting the your co-host shine. Okay. I like it. I love Next that. Next week it'll be you. No, okay. it'll be her. Pressure's on, guys. <laughs> Uh, because this is the episode that everybody has kind of been waiting for, right? So it's appropriate that we would bust out a little dance on this episode and that so many of you have joined us live in the live chat. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. We are live on Eric's 83 Weeks channel. We want to thank Eric and Conrad for having us here. And uh, we want to hear all your guys' thoughts on this episode. This is the one where Eric finally tells the story, start to finish, of his leaving WCW. Let's kind of set the tone here, all right? Let's 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 give everybody a little backdrop. So Eric has essentially, at this point in time, 1999, taken WCW from having millions of dollars in losses to a $300 million profit that year. Uh, attendance is up, live events are up, gates are up, pay-per-views are up, buys are up, merchandise has become a thing. Mm. However... We're sort of on the tail end of that now. All the the luster is beginning to wear off, shall we say? A little bit. I also, and he's chronicled a lot in this show that he his whole focus since he took over WCW was to turn a profit. Mm-hmm. He didn't. Whereas I think if he could do it all over again, I think what he would probably do is cool. I'm going to turn a profit. Let's work toward that. But also, how do I do it in a way where I build a system by which? Once I start turning a profit, I can maintain a profit. Yeah. I can ma- like I can keep my own books. I can do that. And all the while navigating what seems unnavigatable, mm-hmm. which is the Turner landscape at that time. Well, yeah. Conrad even pointed out on the show that what Eric had to do at WCW was really unprecedented. It was something that no one had done before and that no one does to this day. And that is to run a wrestling promotion within a TV network. 
So you're under the thumb of the financial department mm. and the legal guys. Um, not exactly things that Vince McMahon had to deal with on a day to day at this point. In and time. speaking of which, too, like at this time, like Monday Night Raw was just breaking records just back and forth. I mean, they were in there. It feels like their ratings were just getting higher and higher and higher. You had somebody like Chris Jericho just leaving WCW uh, and then showing up in WWF on Monday Night Raw to like a monster rating. Like, and that's going to. They, I, I think they asked it kind of like backwards where it's like, did that affect maybe like the morale, like seeing that here's this guy that was kind of WCW homegrown, you know, have this big monster rating on, on Monday Night Raw. And I think a lot of that had to, had to play in it, too. Yeah, because October 98 was the last time that Nitro won out the ratings mm-hmm. war and they did not win <laughs> one out of any 52 weeks in 1999 against WWF. I, I do agree with Eric that had TBS been behind him. Mm hmm this would have been a falter, a speed bump. Mm -hmm. Because in business especially, there are two ways to look at any fact. The the very famous story was that um, Nike and Reeboks both sent people to a a village that had just been discovered to determine whether or not they should sell shoes. The Nike reps wired back, these people don't wear shoes. There's no market here. Whereas the Reebok person wired back, there's an excellent virgin market here. None of these people wear shoes. <laughs> but I think the idea that Chris Jericho is popping huge numbers in the WWF could be seen as either side. Oh my God, we let Chris Jericho go. Yeah. Everything's all hope is lost. Or, oh my God, the guy we weren't even paying attention to is popping huge numbers elsewhere. Who else do we have? Like, we're just, we're just growing them on trees here. Yeah, I mean, as as you guys can hear, we are really going to get into the nitty gritty of this. So I want to check in with our live chat. Joseph Boza said, it's so cool that Eric was willing to go full deep. I know they've poked around here and there, but the fact of how honest Eric was about this topic was so great for us fans. Did you guys feel that this episode gave you everything that you wanted from an Eric Goes Home episode? I think, I think they kind of ignored a little bit of the booking as well. Uh, I think they were mostly focused on numbers and business. But I really think had the booking been a little bit better, I think they wouldn't have had all these huge losses. You have, uh, I mean, it's hard to kind of go back to that January 4th, 1999 episode of, of Monday Nitro. But it looked like they were having, they were putting on a really, really good show. Had they would had they would have had a great show that they were putting on, maybe the people wouldn't have had to flip over to see Mick Foley win the championship, you know? I think Eric would cringe if he just heard you say that. Because <laughs> I think the whole point of this episode was for him to point point out that there was a lot bigger things going on at this time, things that were out of his control, things that went far beyond booking. But, but honestly, I think that's just the narrative that he, he paints. And again, he even emphasized in the, in the episode that, you know, this is just his opinion, how people, he thought that WCW just was something that was kind of like the redheaded stepchild. But mm-hmm. I, I just find it really hard to believe. And I know there were and that there was a lot of facts in terms of like, maybe they were the redheaded stepchild, but also like if they were giving Turner or getting Turner a lot of revenue, like there really would be no point to to fire Bischoff or to have, you know, WCW go under. I think what he's saying is that they were faltering in a way that they could claim he's losing money. They may, I think they made it easy to fire or send Eric home in some and ways. I, also, I think the part of the reason they didn't talk about the booking in this episode is that the episode is about him being sent home, and he was never sent home of the booking. Right, exactly. No, no one's ever contending that Eric Bischoff's booking or running of this uh, running of WCW was the reason he was sent home. Everyone's everyone's contending a lot about a lot because that's how corporate structures are. But I don't like. I do think booking is important. We and like, and I think the, the narrative, a lot of the like, wait, I think the Wade Keller report was specifically mentioned where it's like, oh, the ratings week to week at Harvey Schiller, Tarrant, like mm-hmm. finally paying attention. It's like. The beauty of WCW being the redheaded stepchild at TBS 
was that no one was no one was actually freaking out over the rating week to week because mm-hmm. they wanted it gone. Like the rating could have been at an all time high. There were people within tournaments who just wanted it gone. <laughs> I believe him. Peg, our, our fan Peg and Godex said the finger poke of doom ended it for me. Mm. So let's talk about some of these specifics of what they were really doing at this time. The Ready to Rumble movie is something that comes up quite a bit. I believe that's one of your faves, yes, George? Want to hear the one of the most blasphemous things that you've ever hear you'll ever hear in your entire life? Absolutely. I've never seen Ready to Rumble. Really? I know. <laughs> Mind blown, I know. I've never seen Ready to Rumble. So there's time to remake it with (laughs) Eric, playing Eric in the film as he was supposed to do. One of my, obviously I want to be a professor, but one of my side projects, I've always wanted to be like a movie producer and I have my own production company and everything. My goal in life is to remake crappy movies. Because everybody's always like, they're remaking Footloose, blah, blah, blah. They're remaking this. Like, no, I want to take a good, a, a bad movie that was probably good on paper and make that into a good movie. Maybe Ready to, Ready to Rumble can be one of the first ones. All right. Well, chat roll. Let, let us it. know Get if you want to see a George Productions remake Grant, of Ready to Rumble. Had you, we've heard this before, that Eric was supposed to play himself in blah blah I actually didn't know that. Really? Yeah. Maybe I forgot it, but I really didn't know that. Oh, well, well then you, maybe I'm making it up in my head that I've heard that before. <laughs> if you haven't. I, I never heard it. I think that's cool. I, I think I think, and and God bless Eric. We all we all really love Eric, but he kind of has like a resting, you know, a, a re- resting bitch, face? a resting mean face. Okay. Oh, know. is that what it is when it's a man? Well, I, was, I was gonna say the p word, then I was gonna say the d oh. word. <laughs> then I was like, and then we remembered say- that we're on Eric's channel, and we probably shouldn't call him p's or d's or anything else. Yeah. So I just said the m word. <laughs> Any other letters? He kind of has like a resting mean face, and especially with the with. And I, I do want to get into like as far as like being. The on and off character, same way in a little bit, but like, but he kind of had that that image and uh, on Nitro on a regular basis, where I think it would have been really easy for him to play a hateable character in the movie. Teddy said, "Say what you want about Eric, I haven't heard another person take the blame so much for stuff. He's honest. That's true. One thing he didn't take the blame for was this New Year's Evil special not happening. This was supposed to go down in 1999. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did they call that again? I can't remember. I was in like eighth grade. Uh, the millenni the millennium." New um, Year's or something. We had a cutesy name for it back in the day. <laughs> you're talking about Y2K? Right, and talking, yes, yes okay. that's what I'm thinking of. Thank you so much. Y2K was so weird. <laughs> it was, But it was going to be a thing, and this idea that WCW would have Kiss on New Year's Eve, it was going to be a big money mm-hmm. pay-per-view, and I think the shocking reason why it didn't go down because employees refused to work on New Year's Eve, I think that says a lot about the state of WCW at that time. Because you had a lot of people that probably didn't care for wrestling. There were like probably Turner executives or employees that like, wait, what? You want me to work on what on New Year's Eve instead of me be with my family? As opposed to like, and there was a little controversy, you know, like a year ago with you know WWF saying or WWE saying they were going to have Raw night, Raw live on Christmas and New Year's, and there was a little uproar. But you know, at the same at the end of the day, you didn't really hear about like, oh my god, I have to work on on, on Christmas because you know well, they all kind of like wrestling. But imagine, <laughs> imagine if. The whatever ownership company owns the Dallas Cowboys actually owns the WWE and a bunch of and they they hate it and those people had to work Christmas and New Year's right that's that's the equivalent of what happened here because there's the, always first football games too on like Christmas and stuff that yeah like, and I'm not saying I'm not saying people aren't de- people at Turner at that time weren't dedicated they just weren't dedicated to WCW yeah I think exactly. anyone who worked for WCW was down with WCW and then there were. A lot of Turner people that supported it that wanted nothing to do with it. They're like, what? we?" And I think there are a lot, I don't want to say Hollywood people, but 
we can all speak to how dead this place becomes like December 5th. <laughs> That's so like, true. Like most people take December off up until the third week in January. It's like, ah, I couldn't get a hold of him. That's true. And we're, we're not exactly complaining about that. Something else that didn't make it to air, though, was Eli Roth's chowder heads. Uh, did this sound like something that you guys wanted to watch? Not on Nitro. No. I, this and sounded I didn't... great on TV, on Adult Swim, which wasn't around yet. Yeah, and I didn't quite understand what the connection was there. So will one of you explain it? I mean, this was all news to me, too. This was this was news to Conrad. Like, this was new, news to everyone. I mean, I know, I, I know Eli Roth has been on, like, Chris Jericho's podcast. He said, like, you know, he kind of grew up a fan, so he yeah. kind of wanted to get involved and things like that. But, I mean, I thought it would have been cut. Knowing what I know about Eli Roth and, you know, being the, the, the bear Jew and, you know, hostile. I mean, he's a pretty creative guy. So had it, there would have been like a I, I assume of, that was a creative comedy thing he did and that you didn't just drop a, a racial No, story. it was a Tarantino film. Okay, go. Whew. It was, it was right. in the trailer. After 83 weeks, not canceled, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we are good. <laughs> Glorious Bastards. You should watch it. It's a great movie. Yeah, I somehow don't think that's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> what I do want to talk about, though, is Chad Brock. Okay, country singer Chad Brock, because if you look up his Wikipedia page, which of course I did because I don't remember who the hell... Chad Rock is. I just had to look at my notes to, to again to remember his name. But it says that he started as a WCW wrestler and became a country star. Eric straightened that out on this episode. No, no. He was a country star who loved wrestling. And apparently at that time, they were just open to any celebrity coming in, hitting up the power plant, trying to do some stuff. What did Chad Brock end, ever end up doing anything on WCW? Nope. I his name Nothing ever. Nope. His name was a real weird pull on that. I believe it was also Wade Keller who was trying to say that Eric Bischoff's celebrity involvement yeah. kind of made him, like, you know, kind of the brush that it was easy. It was, and I think Eric got into this both on this show and on this this show after 83 Weeks when I asked him that he, he never had any care to separate who he was on TV mm-hmm. to who he was in real life. And I think part of that is when he, when he had this demise at WCW, People had a lot of trouble separating who he was in real life from who he played on TV. Mm-hmm. So that, oh, he's this Hollywood guy that doesn't, like, he's this Hollywood guy who only cares about his famous friends and this and that and this and that until until we pretty well lead into, oh, famous person on TV. Eh, they, that must be Eric Buddy and Buddying with yeah. some Hollywood guy. And it's like, no, he really wanted to be here. The Insane Clown Posse really wanted to be there. <laughs> They absolutely did. We all know how that turned out. But let's get to the nitty gritty of this. So Eric is not feeling great about these decisions happening, things going down. And he vents to his friend Bill Bush, who was one of the execs there at Turner. Kind of, he said he spilled his guts and admitted that he was considering resigning, which I found quite shocking. And after that, ended up calling Harvey Schiller, who talked him down as well. This would be Eric's direct boss at the time, who talked him down. Eric's this was late at night and he kind of went to bed thinking well it sounds like everything's gonna be okay (laughs) he was wrong we usually are when we get the day we get sent home from a job (laughs) i've very rarely like walked i've only once in my life actually walked into a meeting knowing that that's the meeting wherever where where i don't work here anymore yeah any other time it's been a blindside and like that's i know that's kind of a power struggle in american like corporate america that they want you to feel they want you to feel you work there and you're a part of this until you're not. Yeah. And I think that this is no exception where it's just, yeah, man, don't don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Hey, man, you're fired. 
No one says that word. That like it was go home and like they paid out his contract and it was super complicated. But like essentially, it's like you don't you don't work here anymore. Well, because he had just signed a very lucrative three year contract that he admits garnered him like over half a million dollars a year plus mm-hmm. with stock options. It's a what they call a pay or play, which meant that if WCW wanted to get rid of him, they still had to pay out his contract. That's crazy. He basically is going to get told, go home and hang out at home and make half a million dollars for the next three years. What would be your guys' response to that? Oh, my God. It's like a dream come true. I mean, but hear me me out. Like, if if it were a sudden, hey, man, go home, this thing you built, this thing you built, you have to completely abandon it and go Uh, home. Oh, yeah, there was that. There was that thing. And there was also, Eric said it on this podcast as well, he doesn't feel... He doesn't feel he's the type to do that. He didn't want to do that. He wouldn't have done that. He would have gotten. He would have. They would have sent him home. And if it weren't that too, long, if it weren't that long, he would have tried to get a resignation. Mm-hmm. But he still took the money, though. I think he said it on this show too, where uh, when he came back in April, he essentially had two paychecks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they had to pay out the first deal, and because they were asking him back. Listen, guys, he had to play, pay to gas up the plane, <laughs> head up to uh, Wyoming, fishing rods, worms, tackle boxes. See, I know some of the fishing things. I'm happy I'm happy he pivoted that quickly because I, I think we all know a lot of people who would have wallowed in pity for weeks mm-hmm. over something like this. Whereas the next day he's like, you know what? I'm just going to gas up the plane, enjoy myself, get out, of cell re- get out of cell reception, don't talk to any wrestlers, don't talk about wrestling. You just fly my plane, get some fish. My favorite question that Conrad has ever asked came in this episode at this point where he said, did you call Hulk Hogan (laughs) or anyone else, any of your friends? I was like, yes, Conrad, finally, a very Christy Reports-y type question. I want to know, like, what? I mean, I don't know if he ever found out. I want to know what Hogan's reaction was. And I don't mean this on a bad thing where was there any kind of, like, like doubt from, from guys like Hulk Hogan saying like uh oh like you know the boss is gone like what's going to happen to my career mm-hmm. and and that's that honestly that's not a bad thing like that's normal because like even like at a regular job like me at a, working at a retail job I've gone through like five general managers mm-hmm. and every single time I'm like uh oh like how's the new guy going to yeah. be you know is he going to know how valuable I am like you know again that's not a bad thing that Hogan has is a little insecure or maybe other stars being insecure about you know the boss leaving it, it, I think it's just totally normal so I was kind of curious that you know did he call him and say hey buddy like I'm not going to be in charge anymore so but and, and honestly like what we ended up seeing was probably like really detrimental to Hogan because we didn't really see much of him mm-hmm. after Bischoff left. Yeah, and kind of uh, the chat rules weighing in on what they would do in this situation. Craig said, I wish my job told me to go and take a break so I can get paid for it. Billy, same here. Cito said, ah, to be rich. Uh, and also wants to know how we would have ended the streak. And it also depends too. Like for example, if I'm if I get sent home mm-hmm. for and to be you know and make money when I'm sent home, do I have an opportunity to make more money by doing something else, or am I would I be taking a pay cut by finding another job? Likely not, because there would be clauses. All the non compete mm, stuff yeah. would be he in wouldn't effect. Be, still. He wouldn't be able to do anything in the entertainment. Well, world. exactly. But let's say I wanted to do something like start up my own business or whatever. You know, like like am I gonna like not or even that. Like, am I going to end up trying to find me to make more money? Like, I know it's a lot of that plays into what your earlier question was. Would you have just how would it have been like to have gone home and get paid 500 grand a year? You know, mm-hmm. I think it would have been nice. I also think and he talked about this on the show, not this not this episode, but on 83 weeks. He has mentioned 
the three year con- the three year deal he signed when WCW was at his absolute peak. Mm-hmm. He's he looks back at that as an inflection point that like had he truly knew what was happening in Turner, how Ted Turner was going to lose all of his influence, he would have asked for what he was worth for those three years. Mm-hmm. Versus like he took a three year deal, it was worth a lot, but he was doing a lot, and he was like, I'm I'm going to run like. In his mind, and I think in most wrestling fans' minds, I think he, this deal would have been 98. Mm-hmm. In most wrestling fans' minds, WCW wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. The ratings could have faltered. Like, wrestling companies don't, like, big wrestling companies that have been around a long time don't always go out of, go out of business. Like, look at TNA. Mm-hmm. Like, TNA has been in business for 20 plus years. Yeah, well, I know we sit here and it's easy to say, like, oh, that would be great to go home and get paid. But you make a good point that it wasn't really about the money for Eric. It was about building something. And he did that. And that's why he says he was so confused when he was let go. But it's I probably should have seen it coming. He brings up this meeting that he had with Vicki Miller. <laughs> the villain Vicki Miller, the villain of this story, the head of financial over at Turner, who was uh, responsible for cutting the budget. This was shocking. So Eric claims that he pretty much just got a memo that was like, hey, BT dubs, we're cutting your budget by a quarter million dollars. <laughs> I mean, in the world of television production, that's not usually how things are handled. And I could see how he would be feel slighted. In that sense. I think they kind of took WCW for granted a little bit because, if anything, WCW, I know they had, like, sports and whatever, but, like, WCW was essentially, you know, making money every single week by, you know, Nitro and advertisements and ticket sales. So I think they kind of thought, like, oh, well, Nitro's doing good. Like, I'm sure cutting off 250 like, yeah, like you said, it doesn't really work that way. There's really, you know, that money's kind of used for other stuff and things like that. So, yeah, I, I do kind of see where Eric's coming from in terms of, like, not wanting WCW to succeed. Yeah, and it's good evidence of the fact that they weren't really even letting him uh, succeed, I think. Um, I'll I'll take this moment to point out that uh, he had an interview on JBL's short-run show on the WWE Network, where JBL, around 98, when WCW did the absolute most it could have ever done, Yeah, JBL asked him, like, well, why why didn't they promote you to run TBS? Why didn't they promote you to run the, like... The Braves, like, why didn't they promote you to run a bigger division? Because that in the corporate ladder, that's what would happen if, if yeah, he they weren't didn't a wrestling touch on that enough on this show. If what he, did he say? Um, the what he said to JBL in that interview was, I, I didn't fit that mold. Like, I, he was clearly a wrestling guy. He was clearly a like ride your Harley in, wear jeans. Mm-hmm. And I think he's met. He's reflected on mistakes he's made in the past that he hasn't. That at this time, the time frame we're talking about when he was sent home, he made no attempt to. How do I? He made no attempt to play nice with anyone within Turner. Mm-hmm. He was like, "No, I run this division of this bigger thing that's getting gobbled up by this even bigger thing." Yeah, and it just like he was a casualty of that whole situation. Where had he had he known to be a little a bit more polished in the corporate fray, mm-hmm. he might have been able to like, and obviously he would have had to leave a wrestling company and run a sports team or a whole sports network or just a whole television network. But within a corporate structure, he would have been able to just run another division. Mm-hmm. But he was confident because he knew he had Ted Turner right behind him, backing mm-hmm. him up. And he even said Ted didn't care about the money. He wanted to tell great stories. He wanted wrestling on his network. Meanwhile, the other network, Big Wigs, I really, this made a lot of sense to me. Eric reminded us, and I do remember this about TBS, that it was the drama network. They wanted this Monday night slot, couple hours Monday night primetime to show movies, to bring 
big stars, big directors, big names to the network and help kind of create this image of the drama network, not the professional wrestling network. <laughs> I remember it as being the drama network. I thought Do you it was the Shawshank Redemption network. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty dramatic, yeah? I've, I've never been able to watch the whole thing. But <laughs> drama, yes. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, because you always hear like they were playing around with things. I remember, I know it was something they've talked about before that they would promote like some of the TNT original programming, like Robin Hood or just yes. new programming. And it was like almost as if like we're going to use wrestling again, taking it for granted. We're going to use wrestling with this built in audience to build our, our programming before we know it. Once that gets big enough. You know, we'll, we'll you know push wrestling aside, but it never really did until they were officially able to do that for you know to, to to Nitro. Although I will say, on the Warner executives, in the Warner executives' defense, if your whole network has one vision of who your viewer is, mm-hmm. and wrestling doesn't fit that, you might not want wrestling on your network. Mm-hmm. Um, they were ta- uh, Bruce Pritchard was talking a couple weeks ago about how they, there was a show on Univision called Super Astros around 98. WWF produced a show in Espanol. Yes. On Univision. And what would happen is people would come in, watch the show, and then leave. Because that's what wrestling fans do when you put stuff on a network. I, I was one of the few proponents of ECW on sci-fi. As, as, Strong proponents. As, as a melding of wrestling fans... Should are like if we're if you're looking for a demographic that the sci-fi network should be trying to capture, mm-hmm. wrestling fans actually fit that demographic more than anything else. They're like niche co- stuff, older, yeah, like older white, or like older men. I'm, I was about to say white men, and that's not true. Like, but like older, predominantly male, mm-hmm. predominantly men, and the sci-fi network would like cater to them more than the USA network would, definitely more than the TBS network would. Mm-hmm. Well, what if Vince McMahon had bought WCW at this time? Uh, Eric drops this little tidbit that Harvey Schiller said he actually met with Vince, who was interested in combining the two companies, but that ultimately really no one wanted to relinquish control. Has you guys heard that story before? Never. Um, I've heard pieces of the story, like, in the dirt sheet world. Like, this is the first time I've had a confirmed version of Vince trying to buy it this early. Mm-hmm. But like in the dirt sheet world, you've heard every version of Vince trying to buy it every day from 98 on. Would Do you think that would have changed anything for anyone on either side Probably. had Vince bought it at that time Probably. instead? Why? I mean, that was just so, I mean, this was like at the height of like, I know this was 99, but like they had just come off as some of the, one of the hottest just years for WCW as opposed to when they bought it in 2001, you know, the last two years of WCW wasn't really so great. This was still kind of at its peak. Um, and just so with that said, like, and this was before WCW wasn't allowed to be on Turner Networking, you know, having those two programming, I think it would have been a huge deal. Oh, like, had he actually been able to purchase a TV show that existed on TBS? Because mm-hmm. that's why Vince was able to buy WCW for pennies. Like, less than a million dollars, I think. Because there was nothing left of it, essentially. It was, it, was right? a tape, it was a tape library and a bunch of... Con- and, like, no one had a contract with WCW. Everyone had a contract with TBS. So you didn't even buy, he didn't even buy a roster. Mm-hmm. He literally bought a, tr- a bunch of trademarks in a tape library for less than a million dollars, which was still a steal. He made that on NWO shirts, like, last quarter. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's fine. But I do, like... That would have changed the landscape of pro wrestling drastically Vince McMahon was able to run a show on the USA network against himself or at least his vested financial interest on the TBS network 
Jobo said, this is the first time I heard about the story. Did Vince really want to buy WCW to better the business or kill the industry? Thoughts, it's funny. It's funny. Like, I think a lot of people are going to say, like, oh, it's a better the business. But we kind of see some a lot of things that, he, that he's done in the last 15 years. And I don't know. It does kind of seem like he wants to just have that monopoly. Not kill the business, but just have everything. Kill the competition. Right, yeah. Kill is a strong word, because I think <sighs> the way Eric handled ECW versus the way Vince did, mm-hmm. I would argue Vince is a better custodian of the business than Eric is. And like, I, if he was here, I would have kind of asked Eric if it, who he thinks would be a better custodian of the overall wrestling business. I think Vince does an okay job at it. I think sometimes his business sense really gets ahead of him. But kill the business, I don't know. Control the business. He's one, He's been doing that our whole lifetime. We have a, uh, a faux celeb in the chat <laughs> who uh, is arguing that Vince bought WCW for $3.5 million, gentlemen. I'm going to check my work. All right. Well, yeah, you, I know it was a couple million. Well, you do oh, that. Well, then George didn't check my work. <laughs> well, you do that. Why don't you, why don't you check Eric Bischoff's uh, claims on a couple of these? So Conrad ran some things by him toward the end of the show and was like, was this a factor in you getting fired in the demise of WCW? Did this have... An effect on it. Rena Marrow, that would be the lawsuit, right? Give us the quick deets on what well, was just, going on with I that. Well, it was just WWF saying, like, hey, what is she doing in your programming? And just kind of getting that from 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 that from that avenue and just saying, like, hey, you know, you shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. What are you doing showcasing her? That's why we never really saw her on TV ever again on WCW. So maybe, I, right. I, I think, I think, I think. Uh, the law department, the legal department of Turner probably didn't want that, you know, yeah. getting mm-hmm. happening a lot. Uh, Eric said it wasn't a factor, as well as Master P and his gun-wielding bodyguards wasn't a problem for them. This grandstanding with the wrestlers about going to WWF thing. Remind us all, we've heard this story on the show, remind us what happened there. In terms of, I, I think it just a lot of it was seeing, you know... WCW kind of paint, painting this picture as like, you know, it's not a place for the young guys, you know, the older guys, Hogan, Flair, Piper, all the above. But then you see guys like Big Show and Jer- or Jericho show up on WWF and it was like, wait, like these guys are, are getting pushed and they're getting paid very well. <laughs> so I think a lot of that was like, and it, that's why I made it easy for some of the radicals to leave and some of the other guys to like kind of want to leave. You know, you got somebody like Raven just straight up walked out of the company when mm-hmm. given the chance. Like he'd rather take half his pay and not be in WCW. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And I think it really depended on who had what deal. Like, Hulk Hogan wasn't leaving. Right. Like, Hulk Hogan's deal was life-changing money to anyone. I think people like Dean Malenko, Chris Benoit, Chris Jericho, it was partially the deals weren't that lucrative, and it was partially they weren't feeling creatively fulfilled in what they were doing. Right. That I think there are a lot... There are some people from that time frame... I wonder financially if Raven felt... Knowing what he knows now... He would have had probably a million or two more dollars mm-hmm. had he stuck with WCW for maybe two more years. Mm-hmm. Like how he would feel knowing, with a crystal ball, knowing, man, I really would have just had to put up with them for X amount more months before they send me home or use me right or like I get into a groove where they don't bother me as much. Mm-hmm. And then they'd go out of business. They'd go out of business in my, my contracts with Turner. Like I wonder if anyone has that thought or regret. <laughs> While Eric said his biggest regret was actually not seeing that the writing was on the wall and leaving in July of 98, which is when I assume he signed that new deal, yeah? Mm -hmm. So he says he wishes he would have gotten the hell out of there then. 
That was shocking for me to hear, and I think he's. Is that a hindsight twenty twenty thing? You think? Because like, how do how do you want to leave when you're like the hottest it's ever been? Yeah. Like Goldberg, you know, Georgia Dome selling out or whatever. Like, just one of the biggest shows ever. Like, oh, now I want to go home. I don't know. I think that's a lot of that's hindsight. Well, hear me. I think I truly believe he felt he should have resigned. Like, I don't think that's him retconning his feelings. Like, I think at one point at that time he felt. No, I should really resign. There's no way out here. Okay. But I also think the hindsight is him saying, oh, I absolutely 100% should have resigned. Looking back on who he was in the television industry at that moment, he was probably the hottest he'd ever been until about right about now. Mm-hmm. That he would have been able to, he would have been able to parlay the current success he had while having it into something else. Yeah. And instead he just kind of, grinded through and worked through. And I think a lot of it, too, is, like, people don't realize just how big of a deal Eric Bischoff was in 98 and 99. Like, when he got fired or sent home, it was, like, a really big deal. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do think it's a hindsight thing to say, like, oh, I should have just went home and resigned. No, no, no. Like, you're Eric Bischoff. Like, mm-hmm. you're literally in the same breath as Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe even more so because you were number one during that time. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't buy it. Well, also, Monday Nitro... Monday Nitro was a top twenty-five television top show. Top five, yeah. Like, but I was being generous. You're I was right. Being we generous make a big deal out of the like, fact that they were being beat by WWF, but that he could have in the television industry, not the wrestling industry, the television industry. He had a lot of doors. The entertainment industry. He had a lot of doors. That the Turner contract, him him being sent home under a Turner contract versus resign versus like having a resignation accepted really changed things for what he could and couldn't do. Yeah, the way he put it, his personal stock plummeted because of this. I think that's exactly yeah. what he means. That he means that it, versus, oh, I'm talking to this guy, Eric Bischoff, he runs a top five TV show in America. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm talking to him about him possibly coming over and doing that for hockey, doing that for baseball, doing that for cricket. Or cricket yeah, is huge even elsewhere. something where like, like for example, like roller hockey was like a really big deal back in the day. <laughs> like I feel like maybe Bischoff putting his hands on that, like, you know, it would have done something cool too. Well, yeah, because he divulged even that he had an agent. Like it wasn't just the wrestlers and the talent at this <laughs> time. Eric himself had an agent and he says he could have gotten another job in less than 30 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I don't, I don't disagree that. I, we could argue, and only he would know the truth, of how long and how seriously he did truly think he should have resigned. Mm-hmm. And I think he's made it pretty clear. He only knows, looking back, like, oh, resigning and resigning and trying to find an opportunity like rollerball is not a great... Like, I'm trying to think of something... <laughs> that was a really big thing for a while. I forgot about, about that. Uh, golf, maybe? Like, I'm trying to think of something that wasn't <laughs> big on television then that, it, that became big. Martial the, arts. Yes, actually... That would be perfect for Eric. That would have been perfect, especially during that time when like UFC was like really as an infancy. But I, I know Eric talked about this during the show, and I've always I'm always very curious about what people think about this. Where he said, um, sorry, um, Eric Bischoff the boss versus Eric Bischoff like the real life character and things like that. Where like I'm sorry, like isn't one of the best things about pro wrestling like that that line is so blurry. When you're the wrestler, yeah, when you're a wrestler not, but though. not when you're a real person trying to work a real job and getting fired. It's not. Well, that's a little bit different, <laughs> but I mean, like, like in terms of like, even like wrestler, because you have so many people say like, "Oh, so and so was an actor in a movie." You would never go up to them and be like, "Hey, hey, Troy, you know Brad Pitt, right. hey Troy, you know, hey, hey this, you know, hey this." That. It's like I don't know. It's one of my favorite things about pro wrestling that like that line is so blurry, and even to the point where like where he was saying like you know 
distinguishing the boss and the character. Like, I like the fact that wrestling is so unique that that line is just so, like, all over the place, even to the point where, like, you have, like, I'll say it, like, Jim Ross always saying, like, the contrary, like, oh, these guys are characters, these guys are, it's like a talent thing, whatever, you know, it's like, no, like, this is wrestling, like, that's one of the best things about wrestling, that there is an element of realness that doesn't exist everywhere else. Well, you keep playing a heel and see, um, <laughs> in the ring, and see how people react to you As public, long as they pay, me, pay, to, pay to see me, it's I all mean, good. Just to jump in here, guys, this is Steven in the booth, one of the producers. Uh, you know, honestly, whether it's wrestling or anything else, when you work in the entertainment industry, your vision of you anywhere can be used against you at your job. And people need to realize that, that whether it's in the ring or whether it's down at a Starbucks being a dick to a barista, anything can cost you your job in this industry because everyone is connected with people you don't know. That's so like true. That. Mm. Yes. And I mean, in 2019 and in 1999, yeah. let's take a second and look at a dirt sheet debunk there were from, this from this episode. There were. So this one shocked even Eric. There was a supposed meeting on the 16th of September with executives. This came from Wade Keller. And that there was a decision made to move Eric to another division, which Eric has already said, no, there was no talks about that, even though it would have made sense. And that he was in Wyoming with Lori, that this never, ever happened. He never met with Harvey after or anyone else. Had you guys heard this story, though? I'm nope. sure I've heard the similar reports and then reports based on the reports. Yeah. But I, similarly, I wouldn't be shocked if Harvey Schiller was talking to other departments. Like, hey, I got this guy. I sent him home, but he's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, tur- he turned WCW around. We have him under contract. <sighs> he can, we can send him down to it. He's already in Atlanta. Like, yeah. he can run the Braves or the Braves farm team or, like, whatever subdivision we have. HBO. Well, and remember, Eric was a sales guy. And uh, I think he's still a pretty good salesman because what they do with the advertisements on 83 Weeks <laughs> is really something. And, you know, last week they asked people to call in and give their firsthand accounts of the success that they have had with Blue Chew. And I think that we would be um, depriving these great people here in our live chat if we did not talk about the raving review of Blue Chew by Lee Garrison, who said that Blue Chew saved his life. He's 40-some years old with a 26-year-old girlfriend who... Um, Shout out to Lee Garrison. I think oh. I think he used the hotline... And her ju- sister. We'll just keep it at that. I I think he just Can used the hotline to brag. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. Is it- <laughs> Did you guys buy Lee Garrison's story? Nope. No. Well, Did you? I didn't, but I'm okay. sure it sold a whole ton of Blue Chew and will keep us in 83 weeks for uh, much of the future. But I do want to look to the future for a sec because what they didn't cover on this episode, they just merely mentioned it, was that all this hullabaloo about Eric going home kind of ends up being much ado about nothing because he comes back to WCW in April of 2000. What do you know about that, George Hermosa? Well, I just remember it was, so about a month later they brought in Vince Russo in, in October of 2000 and so, and that lasted a good three months. Mm-hmm. And then between January and, and I guess March, WCW was just so boring. It was just lame. Ooh. Like it was just so bad. Like and for me to say it's bad because I love everything. <laughs> it was really bad to the point where like, hey, not only let's bring back Bishop, but let's bring back Russo. Like it was like I said, they practically came crawling back to Eric, say, please come back to us to the point where I said, we'll give you an additional deal. Because mm-hmm. as he's mentioned before, he had two deals. He got he got paid. He got two paychecks, and that's how 
boring it was where it's like, <laughs> let's bring back the guy that we told sent home and let's bring back the other guy that, you know, nobody likes or he thinks is too, too, too out there. Although to look at WCW under Vince Russo from a corporate standpoint, it wasn't just that it was boring. The ratings were falling with no chance of like, well, this was after up. Russo left. Because Russo left in January, and Russo and ratings were actually going up, mm-hmm. but he was just so out there and just so like, like, dude, like, learn how to, you know, we're not the WWE. Well, so this, it's that is, you're right. That is a distinction Vince Russo will say at any point. Probably he's probably in our chat right now. <laughs> that ratings went up in the month he was there, and like, it did, however, yeah, it did go up though. I know they for, went for up a fact, slightly, it, but, they went up. but I would uh, say uh, Alicia Smith in the chat said in early 2000, I still thought WCW was watchable. I watched it. Doesn't mean it was entertaining. <laughs> It, it was just some, boring. Like, it had some issues, and compared to what was happening on the other channel, that every moment felt unmissable. And maybe mm. I was just a child, but like every moment of WWE Raw so felt was WCW really bad during this time, or was WWF just really that WWE good? WWE was bad. I, it was like in, bad. Two, <laughs> in 2000, we shouldn't see Hogan and Flair feuding. We shouldn't see, like, it was just really bad. Trust Hogan, me, it was bad. It was pretty bad. I also... But I do want to say, like, when it comes to a personnel decision with Vince Russo, they're not worried about, oh, are the ratings bad or this or that. It's that he was writing the show up until the very last minute. He was was erratic. The morale was super low under him. He had pretty crazy ideas. Yeah. He had pretty crazy ideas and not a whole lot of support or leadership skill. That, like, it's one that, like, he could, Vince Russo, like, if Paul Heyman were in that position, let's say, mm-hmm. Paul Heyman would have some pretty crazy ideas for what to do on WCW Nitro in 2000. Of course. He would have everyone's support, because he would go out of his way to get it. Because mm-hmm. he knew, like, he would know, like, because you can only have unrest within your division for so long before they take that division away from you. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy, because I remember during that time, during early 2000, and everybody praises Kevin Salabody, but he was, like, that head booker between January and April. Mm-hmm. He was, like, the main booker. And I think a lot of it, too, was, like, Benoit, Malenko, Jericho, Guerrero left, Sandler left, Rey Mysterio and Kidman and Conan. They were, I mean, Kidman was there, but Rey Mysterio, Conan, Shane Douglas, they were all technically still employed, but they weren't there. Mm-hmm. They came back back in May. So it's like they had they lost so much of their roster, really like the backbone that like you re- they didn't really have a choice but to put like Hogan and Flair and Terry Funk in the main event when they really should have probably didn't belong. When we flip over and it was Rock Austin like some or Triple H like so hot and like Rock Austin Triple H working with everyone else mm-hmm. on the roster like at that time two thousands maybe maybe a little late but like Billy Gunn was in the mix mm-hmm. like guys like Billy Gunn and Edge were always in the singles mix Kurt Angle I believe was went about 2001 but like so many new names were being injected but the old names and it just felt really fresh and new and anything could happen whereas WCW felt like Hogan and Flair were going to be on Hogan and Flair and Macho Man were going to be on top and then Kidman and Ray are going to like be cruiserweight tag champs so yeah I, I mean I was uh, excited well, when Bischoff not- came back because it was anything Yes, absolutely. And let's not forget that he did turn this company that wasn't profitable Mm -hmm. into being hugely profitable, at least at one point in time. And we love that we finally got this episode of him telling the story of his exit next week. We're going to talk Fall Brawl 96. What was the big news there? The sting and the fake sting. Yes. This was kind of like the beginning of like the really the NWO taking over. So it was a fun pay-per-view. All right, that one's going to be good. Chatroll, thank you so much for hanging out with us. We don't get Eric all the time anymore because he, of course, is busy in his new position. We hope to uh, have him call him back in sometime soon. But we love getting all of your thoughts and make sure that you always hit us up throughout the week and let us know what you think of the show. Steve, where can they do that at? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K A U F. 
And a and I'm doing a lot of cool stuff here at After Best TV. I'm also doing a lot of cool stuff on the wider internet. And if I'm tweeting the link, I'm involved. You can follow me at G-Hermosa, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A. Stay tuned. Uh, got uh, Spanish, Espanol, yes. Monday Night Raw covering every Monday night at 10 p.m. Uh, we got this every week, which I'm always excited to be a part of. So thank you very much. Uh, Yes, and you guys can hit me up anytime at Christy Reports. We will see you next week for Fall Brawl 96. Please join us live Wednesdays at 5 p.m. right here on the 83 Weeks channel. We'll see you then. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.